0: to this episode of the global conversations webcast i'm andre Darmanin, welcoming you back to another episode where we bring light to the issues that matter today we're going to break all stereotypes and challenge the usual perceptions of neurodiversity as we discuss the truly incredible superpower that it is joining us today from across the pond everyone here is from the uk uh, tonight, and uh, <laughs> and joining us are three special guests who have made inroads in amplifying the narrative of neurodiversity and making their workplaces what I like to call neuroinclusive. So, first of all, we have uh, Abigail Ague, a powerful force in the realm of diversity inclusion initiatives. She's a member of the Order of the British Empire which I'm already honored as it is (laughs) in terms of that. Uh, Abigail is noted for inspiring talks and thought leadership, including uh, one that her and I had met on uh, talking about neurodiversity in the workplace through a political uh, and also a TED talk titled, Yes, Black women have ADHD too and need your attention. She brings to the table a rich background in advocating neurodiversity while delivering cutting edge diversity inclusion practices. Next, we have Lee Voise, a leading advocate in, in, uh, of acknowledging the positive and unique aspects of ADHD in the workplace. Lee is currently the marketing manager at Thread and held previous marketing roles at Lloyds Bank. His philosophy is start with why, apply design, sign- design thinking, and do a little bit of nudging in the process and leading with empathy. He holds a bachelor's degree in design and technology management from University of Leeds. Welcome, Lee. And finally, my main man, Chris Foster. Chris and I met each other through uh, Money 2020 uh, back in June of earlier this year in 2023. Uh, So Chris is the co-founder of Open Book and, and an office engagement assistant at Thread. He has a passion for making business more diverse and inclusive. Chris has Arscox syndrome, a genetic disorder related to Down syndrome, and cervical spondylosis, a spinal condition that affects his movement. He is autistic, and his role as office engagement assistant at Thread, a leading issuer, payments processor, he manages uh, various office functions, including meeting room management, and uh, ordering office materials. Outside of his office, as I mentioned, his passion is open book a media platform where he's co-founded that highlights individuals with disabilities. And the mission of this organization is to allow individuals with a disability community to have their voices heard and to raise awareness to create fair employment opportunities for all. Chris offers v- invaluable insights into how businesses can embrace neurodiversity. Welcome, Chris.
1: Welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. So let's uh, let's dive right in here and uh, and talk about the uh, the you know the extraordinary potential of those with neurodiversity, um, but before we get started, I want to uh, give the audience a little bit of an insight in terms of who you really are and what people don't know about you. Um, you know, I, I before this webcast, I you know, as I was doing research on on Lee, and I mentioned to him just earlier. His name comes up on IMDb. And I, so I want to say, were you an actor? He's like the closest thing. And I could see it. We could all see it. He looks like Matt Damon. And yes, that is true. So <laughs> anyway.
2: I didn't say
0: that. You didn't say that. Okay. But thanks, Andre. It's kind. Very kind. <laughs> see, there you go. See? So, so I'm going to go around the table here. So tell us in, in, in like one short sentence,
2: hmm.
0: what is the one thing that, that is unique about you? So Abigail, let's start with you.
3: Oh, what is the one thing that's unique about me? Um, I'm abidestric. So I... You've still got me. It is slowing down a bit, but you can still see me okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I'm abidestric,
3: so I write with my right, but do everything else with my left. So, which I feel like is an embodiment of my ADHD, kind of just all over the place in some ways, but it, like... I do what I can with it. So, yeah, I write with my right, but do everything else with my left. So that's something that's, I guess, unique to me.
2: Yeah. Okay. Lee. So even though, as as you mentioned, Andre, we're all um, based in the UK, but I actually have a, a maybe an unhealthy obsession and passion for a sport that's maybe closer to home for you, which is American football. Mm. and i am a massive massive new york jets fan and have been for maybe 15 plus years Mm. um, maybe a bit of a poor life choice because they've not brought me much or any joy in that time that i've been a fan yeah but as someone who has no family relations or ties to new york it's a bit of a strange one I i could not support any other team but yet I had no affiliation to them whatsoever. It's just something that over my life has grown and grown and grown into what it is now, which is yeah. a well and truly uh, hyper focus every single day. <laughs> and
0: uh, yeah, we'll have to have a conversation about that afterwards. <laughs> um, and uh, Chris, what's one thing? Ooh.
1: I suppose what a lot of people don't know about me is I write Poetry. Um, okay. I I love I love poetry. Um, it's something that really kind of opened me up to, you know, the, the lonely times in my life, and it's something that I'm quite passionate about. And if you like, I can share a poem. Sure, do you could do that. Why sure, not? why not? All right. Um, so sure. I wrote this one of of recent. You see, ignorance breeds hate, but racism survives. You see, living in fear is destroying our lives. You better wake up your mind to open your eyes. You see, color says nothing. What can't you realize? You see, the value of people will never be strong. And I don't understand how it's lasted so long. But look, listen, it's a new era. It's a new time for change. So let's make a new world where love isn't strange.
0: Yes. A little bit
1: amazing. Of the there. There you go.
0: <laughs> there you go. Woo! Amazing, amazing. Chris. I love that. Uh, okay, so... So let's get into the uh, conversation here, uh, you know, differentiating between accessibility and neurodiversity and what I mentioned earlier called neuro inclusion. Why, you know, is it the same thing? And if not, how and why? So I want to start with you, Lee, about that, about that um, distinction, if you will, and then we can all chime in.
2: It's a tough first question. And I feel like my answer is maybe going to bring some debate, but that's, that's why we're here. Right. In it's exactly, important to exactly. have those, dis- those difficult discussions, challenging discussions openly and honestly as a group. So for me, I think they should be the same thing. And the why behind that is because when people are uncertain or unsure about a particular subject or topic that they're not confident with, quite naturally and understandably, they're going to be defensive or guarded towards it. My worry is that a lot of the people, particularly in corporate entities, sectors, aren't necessarily people like us. And it's a bit of a generalization, but I think it's fair to say. So if we are talking to an audience who doesn't doesn't necessarily understand what it's like to think and feel like us or be like us, they're already going to be maybe defensive or guarded. And if you were to say to them, you're doing this wrong or you're not doing this quite right, that's only going to make things worse. And for me, if you start to add more layers to it, or you start to make it seem like it's more complex, more layered, it's only going to make that worse in my mind. Whereas if you can define it in a way that it captures everything, you can start the conversation by saying, let's talk about accessibility. And it means Everything. So, as I'm talking to you now, you can feel confident, even though you don't necessarily get it, that we're covering everything here. And that is more likely to have a more positive reaction for someone to go, I don't know what it's like to be like you, but I understand what you're telling me. And I'm getting mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit more confident because I know what you're telling me is everything so for me that that's the why behind actually there's a benefit to letting it m- mean the same thing but i also know how important individual labels can be as well so there will always be an unintended consequence and there will be challenges and issues if you did define it as one but for me okay. it's maybe more important to the audience and the audience, if those people are the change makers, it's about positioning it in a way that's simple for them to understand, not necessarily you or I.
1: Yeah.
0: Chris, what do you think?
1: You know, it's, a, um, it's very interesting, because um, obviously I come on a, in a different angle here, being someone who's autistic. And, you know, autism is slightly different from... Uh, ADHD in regards of language and you know there's a, a real perception when people say autism they they get petrified and they're like ah! they look at us that we're like we're rain man and we're you know we're, we're kind of get to that point of thinking I've got an eidetic memory or I've uh, or, or that memory is someone that I can I can remember things and I'm amazing with numbers and I can I'm incredible with art and I'm absolutely useless with numbers. I've got a memory like a sieve and you know when you have met <laughs> one autistic person you've met one autistic person, so we're all completely different. Um, the answer to my question is is similar to, to Lee, but I'll add educa- education. I think. One of the one of the beautiful things um, when I started working at Thread is that my manager had ADHD. So her un- her understanding um autism and neurological disorders had a massive impact on me because she prepared the those um in my workplace that she actually said, Look, Chris is coming in, um there will be a sense of you know, sensory issues, um and kind of implemented that. You know, on the foreground per se. So, for myself, obviously, I've not had you know amazing opportunities like what you you guys and new individuals and career choice. I've not had that. But for for myself, I feel that it has been the transition still needs a lot of learning and a lot of education. But I think if the as Lee said earlier on, if that if the if the head is ready to have those conversations, then I feel that it will it will kind of amplify back into 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 to all of my all of my colleagues. And um that's a wonderful thing for me saying that colleagues by the way guys. Yeah. You know, as someone who's been working within the organization now for nearly two years, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. uh so that's a big thing for me because you know for someone in my condition, I don't get the opportunities uh, to work within um, within financial services and, and within fintech so yeah i'm a you know that's my that's my pence that's my two cents
0: yeah and you know so there's something that I want to to touch upon as you talked about you know there's individuality with people who are autistic or neurodivergent mm-hmm. if you will. And that brings me to the conversation about intersectionality. Um and I know that, you know, when I spoke with Abigail or when I saw her speak at an uh at a webinar, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, she talked about intersectionality in this, you know, in this space. And so so, you know, how should organizations, um, in your opinion, Abigail, um, who are new who are neurodivergent, um, how should they help people who are neurodivergent, I excuse me, uh, and have uh and have other disabilities um, with respect to this. So, how should how should organizations respond to such different sets of um, you know different sets of uh, of people and skills and and experience life uh, lived experiences when it comes to this um, when it comes to this um, work?
3: Um, I'd say, and um, first off, I'll give I guess a brief definition of intersectionality because I guess what we've all touched on is it can probably feel overwhelming sometimes. All these um, different words. But I'd say um, intersectionality Mm -hmm, at kind of its baseline is just that acknowledgement that everyone has their own unique experiences of discrimination. So um, I talk about, and Chris has touched on, and then Loli has kind of all um, our different experiences. Um, I have ADHD and dyspraxia, and I'm a black woman with ADHD and dyspraxia. So I think there's those intersectionalities when you think of um, my race and um, being neurodivergent that can come into play. There's some experiences I, as a black woman, might have that's different um to a white woman and um vice versa and things like that, so I think it's about acknowledging that and really kind of understanding people's experiences and I always say it can maybe feel challenging for organizations, but I think it's just really important at a first baseline to really assess the demographic demographic of your workplace to really kind of look at that entire makeup to understand where those intersectionalities may lie because people's experiences will be different. I think it's like really important to speak to the like your organization and colleagues kind of understand their experiences individually in um, groups also bring people together to kind of have those conversations as well so I think it's really important to kind of hold spaces for people to have those conversations and I'd say don't be afraid to devote resources and bring people in like um, listen to the people there I always say we're an expert of our own like lived experiences but don't be afraid to kind of bring more of those devoted resources if you do need people who can really help with those areas and there's amazing organizations that do that so I think that's some of the ways, just a baseline to um, really think about in terms of thinking about that in, um, intersectional approach, really understand the makeup of your workplace um, and their experiences. Mm-hmm. If there is some gaps, if you have diversity, but they're, um, they're only kind of hitting a certain level of being able to progress in the workplace, like once you kind of know the demographic of your organisation and get a bit of an understanding of their experiences, I think that will help move things forward.
0: Yeah, and Lee, you're. I know you. Uh, you know you mentioned it uh, to me a while back in in, in in an earlier conversation, in terms of being, uh, you know, a white person in this space, and and you know, how do we become, you know, allies to those who are who don't look like us, especially when we're when we're when we're talking about this. For,
2: for me and and for anyone who is in a position of privilege it's about listening to understand because my experience is different but it's important for me to understand what other people go through and intrinsically that is something that matters to me a lot but i think it's also something that should matter to everyone and matter even more so in a business environment because ultimately mm-hmm. Your culture will drive results. So, the more you can put into people, the more you will get out of them and out of the business. And from my perspective, I need to listen to other people to understand their experience. And even if their experience doesn't match my own, I'm believing what they tell me. And if they tell me their struggles, if they tell me their challenges, it's true i don't judge i don't undermine i don't disbelieve because they may not be things that i haven't experienced but i haven't experienced them because of my privilege so it's important that people who look like me recognize that one we need to listen to understand because it's not about us it's Mm -hmm. been about us and it's still about us which is why we see the problems that we do, that we have. So mm-hmm. you can't make it about you because it's not about you. You have to let your ego go. Listen yeah. to understand. And from that, do what you can to support them, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. But listening is often the first thing that needs to happen, but never does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And listening is something that, you know, a lot of people, or at least active listening are things that we don't really do well, um, all that much, but it's still something that we need to, we need to hone in on, um, you know, whether we are actually doing this work or not. And, you know, and, and as I think about this, you know, one of the things that we've, we've come to know at least you know in 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 the spaces that we're all in is that you know we continuously hear the the saying that you know neurodiversity or in in this conversation that we're talking about neuroinclusion is a superpower for for organizations regardless uh-huh. if you're a private sector public sector etc so 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 i guess you know i want to get an understanding of why is it a why do we consider neurodiversity a superpower for, for businesses and what, you know, what advantages or what kind of things that, um, uh, you know, what kind of, what kind of opportunities are there and what are people not knowing about people with, um, with, uh, who are neurodivergent Chris? I mean, I mean, you're, you know, we see you on social media out there and that's already a positive sign. So, I mean, you know, tell us, you know, tell us, why that is? Why it's all you know? Why we should consider it as a superpower?
1: So, to, to go to go back onto Abigail's point for a moment, and, and then I will go on to something. Sure. There is something that me and Abigail share very, very much in common. On um, in reality, is we both get judged when we walk into a room if it's based upon race. Or physicality of someone who has uh, a physical disability, and for myself, I feel that's really, really important to kind of say that and why I can kind of empathise with with Abigail. I won't, I won't understand because I don't know what it's like to be a black woman, right? But I can empathise in regards of our difference. Right yeah like so empathise with you with some, but don't won't be able to with some of your experience as well,
3: so you're totally aware
1: exactly, you know this is going back to the, the empathizing and why it's important why I put myself out there to create the change of what I want to see, and I think you know the the, the, the sad truth about it is is that my heart is you know for disability inclusion. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the workplace, in in such a big way, and in the result of that conversation, you know, I I have an obligation to put myself out there to see the change that I want to see. Now, one of the things is for me, and you know, as as you know, Andrea, you know, I spoke at money twenty twenty. I've spoken, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pay three hundred and sixty. I've just recently come back from Vienna speaking, and. It's been amazing, but one of the things that I went out to set out to do was to go out there forcefully and say, I'm authentically have Down syndrome, I'm authentically autistic, and I can show everybody what I can do. But the reality is there was family members in the audience, while I've gone out there speaking, that have actually children that Mm -hmm. have additional needs. And then they look at myself as the possibilities of what their child can go out there and do. And I think this is what's breaking the mould on the stereotype of what, you know, disability or or neurodiversity looks like is when we show up. We may not necessarily understand, you know, the Mm -hmm. impact that we have onto somebody else's life because People could turn around and say to me, Chris, what's it like before you were autistic? What was it like? Well, how would I know, right? I'm a 45 year old man. And I hear all the time, and this is a, a, a word that I see that I've been really meditating on the other day about inclusion, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Inclusion never existed when I grew up. Right? It wasn't a thing because, mm-hmm. the, the, because as a 45 year old man, there was no one that looked like me. I saw nobody, right? So on in in the television, in in any form of media. So all I've ever known was just different. Mm-hmm. And it's only of the say the last sort of ten years that we kind of hear these 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 beautiful words that I'm seeing young people, you know, young disabled people going out there being authentically themselves. I look at them and I'm like wow, I wish I could have done, right? They've blown me away. And Mm. for myself, with the voice that I've got now, I've got to be honest with you, I've got an obligation for those that next next generation to come to say that I can. And I think for, for me, that gives me the ability to go out there and actually turn around and be like, yes, you can, and yes, you will. And more importantly, the words that were echoed to me, I will echo back. And that is, I see you. I see you. I value you. And I'm here to hold your hands and I'm going to support you to the next step ahead. Doesn't matter if they're from if it's from primary school to junior school to, you know, to secondary school, to college, to university. Mm -hmm. I was an individual that never had those abilities. Mm-hmm. And, it's only, and it's only of recent where I've took the courage to turn around and say, excuse my language, fuck it. I'm just mm-hmm. going to go for it. And I'm going to be authentically myself. Mm-hmm. And then through that, I've actually now changed. I'm changing that narrative and mm-hmm. family members are coming up to me and saying, now I believe. Yeah. That then spurs me on to go and do it to break the boundaries even further because I'm actually understanding that all things are possible.
0: Yeah, no, well said, well said, especially, you know, especially considering the fact that, you know, whether we are, you know, regardless of the color of our skin, we don't see people who look like us. And we've been, you know, you know, we've been hidden for various reasons because of the able-bodied cisgendered you know people that we see as the the standard if you will and yet mm. you know and yet there's people who have those superpowers that have that ability um you know what I like to call um the underestimated and with your with your comment chris that is the perfect example of why people are are underestimated in this work and we sh- and you know and and all of us regardless you know, regardless of our, our race, our gender, et cetera, that we should not be underestimated because of the fact that you think you're the superior, um you're the superiority, if you will. And that's something that we need to we need to hone in on and make people aware within our organizations that we have capabilities of doing that. And I and I and I applaud you for you know for for what you've what you said here. And you know, I wanna also go back to something that that we talked about here is Abigail and Chris, both of you have talked about um, having multiple disabilities um, and so um you know so one of the things that uh, that i've that I've learned and and this is through Abigail where she mentioned about the, the term comorbidities, so how is it that people manage this first of all, and second of all, How can workplaces be cognizant and inclusive of people that are, that have these comorbidities, if you will. Um, Abigail, you know, let's, let's start with you on, in terms of that, because you're the one who, because that was a term I never heard of until I, I heard it from you. Um, Mm. So yeah, so definitely let's, let's, let's start
2: oh
3: I'm happy because that's funny enough is a word I'm familiar with but I struggle to tend to say I'm like comorbidities I have to like really break it down. <laughs> but I think it's just um basically just I guess acknowledging um the different like medical conditions that people may have or different so um medical conditions where it's diseases or anything just that people may have more than one so in my case I have ADHD and dyspraxia and people who Are neurodivergent are more likely to have an array of other things. So ADHD, dyspraxia, more likely to um have anxiety or depression. So um have more needs to support their mental health. So I think it's being aware of, of that and links to intersectionality in that way that none of us are kind of one thing, and that we might have multiple needs and really taking the time to kind of understand understand how they um come together, how they work together, and how people's um needs can be supported in that way. So I think. That that's the first step kind of having these conversations to bring more awareness to these things to people's and I think everyone on this conversation does an amazing job and I'm constantly learning I always like I touched on earlier I think it's important to know that people are expertise on their lived experiences and having these conversations learning from Chris about your down syndrome and other needs and support that you have and Lee your experience as well and same with you Andre like I think having these conversations helps people and to, um to be able to like move forward so kind of bring awareness and then really thinking about how we can look at people's needs um cuz we're not kind of homogenous just in that way
0: we do have multiple needs and support mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: um
0: and uh lee coming from you know coming from your perspective uh you know mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on on you know on the being inclusive of those especially who have multiple disabilities and showing up in the
2: workplace and allowing
0: them to flourish in the workplace
2: it all comes down to choice right and Mm -hmm. giving people options that they know can help them or if they don't know can help them help them find out what works for them to thrive either in the workplace or at home or both Mm -hmm. one of the things that we seeing more and more now, and I've seen this work for me. And I know Chris uses this as well is, is Chat GPT mm-hmm. and the functionality that I can give, and the assistance that I can give with whatever that looks like. So, there is technology out there that can really help people. It all goes back to creating a space in an environment where. People feel safe to share either their challenges or their struggles with their manager or with their head of department and know that they won't be judged for that. Now, that's probably one of the first and most important things. And creating that safe environment starts at the top. Mm -hmm. The people at the head of the team and all the business need to set an environment where people feel safe to be vulnerable and know they won't be judged for it. And if you can do that, people feel safe enough to have those honest conversations, right? And say, I struggle with anxiety, depression, and ADHD. Those are all three things that I struggle with. So if I am in a position where I can be honest about that and say, From a sensory perspective, I need a desk in the office that has a wall behind it. Otherwise sound behind me is too distracting. Uh I need noise cancelling headphones or I need to work from home two times a week to help manage anxiety of just the demands of everyday life or the commute, things like just things like that as an example. I might be in a position where I can articulate what I need, but other people might not be. And so you can either, that's where businesses maybe need people more proactive and saying, right, we know Lee has ADHD. And to Abigail's point, who else in the business or who do we know has been open enough to share with us that they have ADHD? What can we learn from them and see if we can help Lee? But that's where there can often be a challenge between, is this a business priority or not? Is this driving revenue or not? So that balance or that question, there isn't an answer to that. But if we can create that environment and then give people choice, but help them understand what choice is right for them, then that can go a long way.
3: Can I Christmas
2: piggyback
3: back off that? I'll try and. Oh, keep sorry. It go ahead. Go ahead. No, is that okay? No, just, um, Lee just sparked some stuff in my ADHD brain. But, um, what, um, least you said about the business needs. <laughs> I think that's the thing that I think when we kind of touch on organizations, it actually, they need to know that it is a benefit, even just from a pro, if you just want to look at it from prof- a profitable end, having diversity of thought yeah. and having, um, an array of people with kind of diverse backgrounds and skills often is long-term more profitable for an organization it it helps with retention long-term because people are more likely to stay in the organization so i think they should understand things from that perspective and i think the also the point you made about um especially creating those safe environments that is like pivotal more than anything else i think it's always important when um a colleague comes to a manager or comes to their organization and says that they need support that that's really taken into account that people often don't always have the language. A lot of people don't know that they're neurodivergent or that they have um, additional needs. They just know that they need some support. So I think it's really important to take the time. first really acknowledge that with um, a colleague to say thank you for coming to me. Let's see what support we can give you and let's see how we can put things in place. So I have something that I do with um, colleagues and people I've managed in the past. that is something as simple as a personal preference um, sheet and it just has things on it like, How do you like to receive feedback? Um, What hours do you like to work? Just kind of simple things to help facilitate the conversation. What additional um, support would help kind of facilitate working in in the working environments like Lee touched on with headphones. I've got multiple screens like sometimes kind of aiding with some of those questions can help people think of okay yeah these things might help me um, work be able to work together and also I like share that with my um, team as well, people I work with, they understand that we all kind of do have different needs. It's about how we can cater to supporting people. So I think it is really important to create those safe spaces to have those conversations. And to, like Lee said, um, lead, like the top should be leaning on and taking the lead in that. Of course, it's important to have um, marginalized communities and there's networks and people like ourselves who do that amazing work, but make sure you're actually leading from the top saying we want to actively push this work forward and not rely on those marginalized groups but take their insight to kind of make things better but make sure that they're leading with those like smart objectives to make things happen Mm
0: -hmm. chris
1: yeah i mean obviously i'm going to come a different angle right (laughs) right so for myself um Access to work. So it's a government scheme, Andre, here in the UK called Access to Work. And what mm-hmm. Access to Work is, is I have my own PA. Um, Lee knows my PA, uh, my personal assistant, Grace, um, and a, an incredible lady that she's been with me now for just over a year and a half. And she helps and aids me with my work uh, on a day to day basis. And you know, my work is being done and the the company has actually taken (laughs) her on. Really? Like she's part of the furniture rightly. She's just there. Everybody (laughs) knows her. She you know Honestly. You know, I think a lot of people kind of assume that she actually works for the company but she obviously she doesn't she's there just to support me and my and my work i mean i work part-time um so i work three days a week i Mm -hmm. start work at 7 a.m in the morning and i finish at three and the reason why i do that as someone who is you know is autistic sensory issues i get on a complete overload so when it uh, comes sort of like nine o'clock in the morning when they're in the in the commute traffic and it's absolutely manic, I'm like, ah, can't handle it, too much noise, but I, you know, too much light, too, it's too bright for me and I don't like it and I'm a mess. So my work has made that simple little reasonable adjustment that me getting there at 7am in the morning Ready to set up the meeting rooms, ready to collect the post, preparing everything, so when Lee gets into work, these things are already done in place for them to go out there and do their job. And for me, that simple little reasonable adjustment is actually t- you know taking away the stress and the strain of my own mental health. But it's these conversations that we're having right now that I hope will could then be amplified to, you know, the wider audience and other organisations to actually turn around and be like, Oh, actually, that's 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 a really simple, reasonable adjustment.
2: That's, that's not great. even
1: costing the, it's free yeah. it's, it's you know it's not costing the company anything mm-hmm. and you know and what a lot of people don't know um you know andre um, i know lee and uh, abigail may know a little bit about this being in the uk is do you know how much the company pay for grace nothing how much yeah. they pay mm-hmm. absolutely nothing the government pay access to work to actually go mm-hmm. out there and help me on my day-to-day tasks so there's no excuse. Companies mm-hmm. can't turn around and say, oh, well, it's going to be costly. It's going to be really expensive. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's not. It's free, right? And you, mm-hmm. get a, you get an assessment. Admittedly, the assessment is quite long. Um, but when you've gone out there and, 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 and done that assessment and got that individual into work, as Abigail rightfully says, you know, when you actually have such a diverse group Within the organization, other organizations want to buy into that product, and I think we're seeing that now, Lee. I think we can openly speak and speak about these things where other organizations that work within our with within our company they've seen me and they they they, they want to know more they're like they're leaning in and they're like so you have someone with Down syndrome working in finance, yeah, wow okay, that's, 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 that's amazing. And I think mm-hmm. that's the, the type of impact that we really want to be seeing, and we can illuminate that, and then mm-hmm. that hopefully we can start seeing a little bit more of a a, a better world. Yeah.
0: yeah. And
3: can I just and, say, and then I've told this, I
1: will mute oh, for a bit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's okay, it's okay. Sorry, it's all catching. I just wanted to make that point and access to work, Chris, because that's a brilliant point that I always forget to mention. It's so important because I'm going through the process right now. So it's, a, it's like Chris said, it's a grant. I think you can get up to £60,000 worth to support your needs. I might be wrong on the figure. But mm-hmm. it's, it, yeah, um, it's... it's, about, it's about that. It's, and it's it's really important because um, that practical support that you can get, like um, Chris said, it's, it's so important. And you don't need an official diagnosis. That's what a lot of people also are unaware of, mm. that as long as you can kind of write down your needs and stuff, you don't need to have officially being diagnosed as being neurodivergent, as long as you, because a lot of people are often worried about that, that oh, I'm, fish, I'm trying to go through getting a diagnosis right now. As long as you can kind of articulate those needs, it can be validated at work and stuff. And there's lots of information online to help you with the process if the application form can be difficult for people. So that's really important, because it's something that I'm going through now. And I'm like,
1: why didn't I do this yeah. earlier? But it's not talked about enough. So it's really important. Yeah. And it's, a, and it's a well-funded organisation as well. It's actually very well-funded. And I mean, I've, without getting too political, why they don't actually go out there and scrimmish and out about it is because, it, let's be right, be honest about it, it's a government scheme and they don't want to go out there and, and fork out that money. That's yeah. why it's not going out there and publicist so much. But, you know, I think the actual fact that these things are out there for people that are neurodiverse as well as those who have disabilities um, and yeah, they're amazing. What? Well, it's a long assessment. Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a long haul. You can wait up to sixteen but weeks. There is support to support out there to, get you, to, to fill in the application form.
3: Sorry, Abigail. again. Sorry, it's so delayed, isn't it? Said... There is support to fill in the application form out there, and yes, you yes, can be yeah. employed or self-employed as well. So that's why it's really it's really good to get that support to do it. Mm-hmm. It really
2: is. It really is. It Definitely. really is. And can I just you know, say... now? yeah sure i was gonna yeah so so, sorry andre
0: i'll keep it
2: very short and i'll try and um say in a way that summarizes nicely what everyone has said but we've talked about a few things like the the government scheme but also things that individuals can do things that businesses can do and to kind of pick up on what abigail said that she wished she'd done it sooner once she realized that maybe it was there and it was more straightforward than she thought. That thought process, I feel like it can happen for a lot of businesses where if they let go of the fear and just take time just to talk to the people in their office, talk to the Mm -hmm. people who are neurodivergent, have mental health issues or physical disability, whatever it is, just listen to them. And understand what their needs are, very quickly and very simply, you'll understand oh, they just need to be by a wall. Oh, they might need a section of the office for them and noise canceling headphones. Mm -hmm. They need these softwares. Actually, that's a lot cheaper and a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And it kind of goes back to my first point around positioning it and framing it in a way that helps people to understand that yes there's there can be lots of labels and it's complex and it's sometimes difficult for the person with with the condition or conditions to understand and articulate Mm -hmm. but just by listening yeah actually you can you can do a lot in just that and some of the solutions because of that can be free simple and easy to implement and all of a sudden it becomes a lot less scary yeah Mm.
0: yeah and and you know going back to putting this all full circle you know everyone talks you know especially in the in the in the private sector and businesses they they look at it from a cost perspective how does this affect our shareholders what are they going to say like all of that and of course then going to you know where abigail you and i have have experience with the public sector in terms of what is, what's the cost to taxpayers right but at the end of the day this work regardless of whether you are you are advocating for a for a program to assist and accommodate people with neurodiversity or you are putting in programs to create equity in the workplace business leaders or lead, or organizational leaders as a whole need to think of it as as the as the right thing to do and a lot of people don't see it that way and we're so i mean i wouldn't say that they're not seeing it that way they are they're coming around to that and we're moving to the next stage of accepting that everyone is different regardless of being able bodied having you know being white being black being asian etc it's how do we how do we Embrace all everyone's different perspectives, different knowledge, different abilities, et cetera, and providing that opportunity for them to thrive in their organizations. Because at the end of the day, if you're not doing that in your organization, guess what? They're going to find somewhere else to jump. They're going to jump ship, find somewhere else to go, and they're going to and they're going to go to an organization who is doing who are doing those things. And, you know, it was great to, to, to hear from you, Lee, in terms of what's going on. At, and both you and Chris, I should say, because you're both in the same organization, what you're seeing uh, in your organizations in terms of accommodations. And Lee, in your point of, you know, how your employer is providing you those opportunities to to say, OK, this is what you need being in this space. I need noise cancelling headphones. I need a wall behind me, et cetera, et cetera. And now we're starting to see other organizations uh, out there, like, for instance, and we'll go back to our go back to the sports reference of, you know, my hometown baseball team, the Toronto Blue Jays in their in their stadium. They've had sensory rooms for children. Right. So that they can. And of course, they have the the ability to have noise cancelling headphones to 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 drown out the noise so that they can focus. Right. And another there's a restaurant here in Toronto that does the same thing. And all it is is just, it's just having that humanity to to do this and 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 whatnot. And so, the one thing I, I I'm you know I'm still trying to figure out in terms of um, acceptance, if you will, is that what is it that people need to like? Are there programs out there within a workplace? Have you had those experiences to say that um, you know for them to be educated on? on what it, be, what it is to be neurodivergent and what it is in terms of how to create those spaces for, for neurodivergent populations. So, And I guess that's, that's, I guess, the one thing we want to close off with in our, in our conversation from the three of you, open forum in terms of what, what neurotypical people can do to help create a more inclusive space and neuroinclusive space outside of what we've discussed. So the floor is yours. Whoever wants to
1: join in.
2: I don't mind going first. You want to go? Go,
1: I want. I want no, there's a reason why I'd like to follow Lee, because I want, I'd like to in what Lee says. actually.
2: Thanks, guys. I, I appreciate it. And I feel like if I didn't say that, I would have forgotten what I wanted to say. So I, I jumped in before, before I just um, let my poor working memory take over. But so to To answer the question i'm going to just touch on a bit of a side story to the or a side side answer because mm-hmm. one of the things I often do when i'm talking to someone who is neurotypical is I will reference celebrities or sportsmen and women who are or were at the top of their profession who also have in my case a d h d For me, that is often one of the simplest ways to demonstrate to someone who doesn't necessarily understand what it feels like. It's a simple way to demonstrate that given the right framework and some like slightly adapted conditions, these people can thrive more than anyone else and they can get to the top of their profession maybe even more quickly than anyone else. If you can tap into what is intrinsically um, passionate to them, what they find interesting, they are likely to outwork anyone else. Because the way that our minds work, we are constantly searching for sources of dopamine because we don't produce enough of it naturally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... If we're constantly searching, that's sometimes where we can lose focus, or it might seem like we're losing focus, but our mind is just trying to find different sources at once. But then if you find that subject or that topic that it finds interesting, that it gets dopamine Mm -hmm. from, you can hyper-focus on it for hours and hours, days. And it's like me with American football, just kind of going back to that reference point. it can be, it's, it is the same in work, and it can be the same in work for anyone. That if you find out what they're interested in, could be problem solving or they're passionate about, could be creative tasks. Then, if you set them up with those types of tasks, they'll do them better than anyone, quicker than anyone. And so, for me, when it comes to helping someone who's neurotypical understand, The first step is showing them that the potential, showing them that if they can help advocate or listen to understand or support me in getting or creating an environment that is going to be supportive of the way that my mind works in the form of a desk in the corner or noise cancelling headphones or just being there for me to talk to when I need to validate my feelings, if I'm going through sensory rejection or something like that, having that person there, but also knowing that they can see the potential in someone like me, if given the opportunity. And I think that's, that's the most important thing for me. And in terms of how I would position it to them, because I don't need to convince myself because I live like this. But they don't necessarily understand and that's okay. I'm not expecting them to understand because they will never understand fully. But um, they can understand the potential of someone like me if I can show mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. people like me. Mm-hmm. And if it's someone like a Michael Phelps or it's more than likely or Simone Biles, that person is going to go, I know who that is. And I've seen them win gold. And they've been able to make that kind of conscious decision that they are the best at what they do. So mm-hmm. actually, there is truth to what you're telling me.
0: Great points, Lee. Uh, Abigail, uh, Chris, any, any, anything to add to those before we, uh, before we close it off? Chris, did you want to do piggyback
3: off? Best? I'm happy. Are you happy for me to come in?
0: Whoever's easier. Um, whoever, go ahead. I'll just go I'll, again. Okay,
3: um, <laughs> yeah, I'll say, um, I'll try, I'm going to try and keep as brief as possible, but I'll, but I'll say uh, first, um, first and foremost, engage with those communities. So whoever feels like, if we're talking about from an organisation perspective, whoever's feeling the most ex- excluded, engage with them, try and understand what their perspective is, what support they need and then really try and hone in on like whatever the root of the problem is so like we've talked about this awareness is so important and representation is so importantly that's something I do when I um do talks as well I talk about people and Simone Biles is someone I mentioned SZA who's the most nominated person for the Grammys this year she's about woman with ADHD I really try and show people who um look like um Um, me and our marginalized groups to have those conversations but I think once you've kind of really engaged with communities to understand some of their unique experiences really um go into trying to understand what the root of the problem is to look at how you can help them so this instance if it is things like interviews how can you make the interview more inclusive try and understand like the processes there what makes it hard for um neurodivergent people with disabilities who might want to apply for the job really kind of start looking at those um, root causes. I think it's really important for people to do. And to also, yeah, listen, trying to really under, understand how you can um support them more. And also really like take the time to think about some of those targeted ways to help them. That doesn't always have to be big, but think, make sure they're kind of like actual sustained action. So some of the things that we've touched on, like reasonable adjustments, how they don't always have to be, the misconception is that they always have to be big things. Think about that, listen to people and understand in small ways how you can help them. Make sure you're doing your research to understand what support and needs they need as well. And and I always say, like, partner up with people if you don't know as well. Like, don't be fred, afraid to bring in organisations and people that can help people as well. So that's what I always kind of say, first and foremost, engage with communities to understand the support they need. And then think about those um, root problems and what support can be brought in. It doesn't have to always be big but think about making sure that it's kind of sustained impact and understand that it's going to be a journey to improve these
1: things, but keep on going.
2: Love that. Yeah. Um, Chris.
1: Thank you. Um, first of all, allyship. Um, I think that's a, a really, really Im- important um, word, especially within, within our workspace. Um, I can only talk about me. I can't talk about anybody else. I can only talk about myself, right as I said i still the sad truth and the reality is I still don't see anyone that looks like me To you know, and I can talk about that within media. I can talk about that in in and in work, so I do still feel i'm a one off um and there's thousands of me um in the u k that are just ready. Wanting to work, and I think Abigail touched on a very, um, uh, a very important part. There is recruitment in the recruitment sector in regards of how we are trying to go out there and find the disabled talent um, to bring them in. Because the reality is, they're not applying for the jobs. It's not mm-hmm. like they don't want a job, but they're not applying for the job because the the truth be the truth be told is is the is the uh, aspect of applying for the job accessible for a disabled person to mm-hmm. want to go out there and apply for the job in the first place? So I feel yeah, that, well, as well, in, well, in well, the recruiter well. perspective, in the recruiter perspective, they need to understand that we may it may necessarily have to go out there and find the talent rather than actually the talent going to them. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the beautiful things um, with myself. Um, is you know Annette Evans, who, who who sadly doesn't work for the company anymore, was the person that brought me into the company. Um, she now works at Google. She she's a dear friend of mine, so she's always she's known me for probably close to twenty years. And when I when I lost my job sadly to disability discrimination, um, and I'm very open about that, she wanted me to come into this company. Um, because she saw the abilities that I can do and offer. And she said, when the companies see you, that you will flourish. Mm -hmm. And I'll be the first one to admit this. When I first started, I thought I'd be there a month. And I really did. Like I thought, you know, there was there's I, I laugh about it now. Um I won't I won't bait out their namely because you know who they are, right? But there's people that believe that I was there at work for work experience. Mm-hmm. And they were going up to my manager and they're like, Oh, Chris is such a lovely guy. It would be great if we could get someone like Chris to come in and actually work for the organization. And you know, you know, bless her, she turns around and goes, Well, actually he does, he actually does work here for real. And they're like, <laughs> really? And it's like, yeah. And it's they're like, oh, wow. But it's amazing over this last, you know, 18 months, nearly two years now, that those same individuals that have actually come up to me and turn around and say, Chris, you've changed my mindset. And I think that is the importance here, right? About the allyship, because I'm telling you, and Lee will tell you this, everybody in, that, in our company where we work, Lee, would you agree with me? They're cheering me on.
2: Definitely.
1: Like, they, they really are. They are just cheering me on. Like, I can't stress it enough to you. I mean, like, when I, when I come back from Monday 2020, like, I won an award for that. Mm-hmm. The company, you know, they, you know mm-hmm. because they, they, they turn around and they were like, Chris. You do realize that this has never been done before. Like yeah. it's never, no one at Money 2020 with Down syndrome has ever spoke on a stage in front of. Well, I spoke twice that month, twice mm-hmm. that that week. Andre, right? One in Rise Up, and one on the main stage. Yeah. And it's never been done before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and like and I'm telling you, when I spoke at Pay 360, Lee was there. And I tell you what, Lee, I'm sorry. I'm going to bait you out. But, but my brother, he was crying. He was, yeah, he was so, <laughs> full of so much emotion. And yeah. that's the thing, right? You've got, you've got, you know, colleagues that are cheering me on. And then in cheering me on, they're ready to bring someone else in. Mm-hmm. And that's the wonderful thing. And I'm not just trying to big up my company now, yeah? But let's be honest. There's not many organisations that are going out there mm-hmm. and saying, "Well, let's actually go and and, and and let's go and actually employ the most marginalised groups in society mm-hmm. and actually take them on board and give them an opportunity to shine." Yeah, and I definitely. think that's what we need to do here. We need to champion each other, no matter what organisation you are, no matter what race you are. Because one thing that neurodiversity doesn't do, guys. It doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. It affects every race, religion, sex, and age. This is why it's important to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say firsthand, Andre, thank you so much for allowing us to have this conversation.
0: Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Abigail. Thank you, Lee. This was an enlightening, inspiring and joyful conversation to to hear the three of you talk about not only your experiences but also how can you thrive in in the organizations that we're part of, and and what people can learn from you uh, being those inspiring voices. I mean, like I said, throughout all of this, you know, Chris, I met you first at Money Twenty Twenty, and you know, you were an inspiring figure um, to not only myself to others and Abigail as well, you know your uh your talk at uh a political a few months ago um was was also inspiring to people at you know where you know within my community of 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 colleagues and, and friends and lee you know besides the the matt damon reference uh, that we talk about here <laughs> and your and your sad
2: None of this oh, was scripted, no I, prom- I None promise. None of this
0: was scripted, exactly. <laughs> now you're
2: and, and, but... <laughs> saying it, I see it. Now you're
0: saying it, I, I see it. it. Exactly. No, you no, can't, I see it. And, of course, I was just going to say before we close off, um, you know, I was going to say to Lee, I mean, I feel for you with your with your love of the New York Jets, even though my Bills beat you uh, a couple oh. of weeks ago. <laughs> Um, Glad you anyway. the end to tell me that exactly exactly For so raid. i had to throw For that but anyway anyway so so <laughs> so with that i just want to i want to close off um just just again thank you and where where can people find you um on on social media uh so uh, abigail let's start with you lee and then chris
3: Um, You can find me on LinkedIn. I used to do a lot more, but I'm trying to get back into the flow of things. So I um, have a newsletter as an ADHDer that I used to put out there. I used to do a lot of LinkedIn live chats where I'd speak to people um, with ADHD, especially from an intersectional lens. Um, I also have my TEDx that's on YouTube as well that you mentioned earlier on. So that's where you can find me. And I'm trying to do more on Instagram, trying to get back into the Instagram and TikTok world, but that can be quite overwhelming. But yeah, they're the places you can find me, LinkedIn. Um, My TEDx on YouTube and Instagram. All Abigail
2: A G Y E I. Lee LinkedIn. Just search uh, my name, Lee Boise, and I think I'm the only one. I should be the only one. If I look except for the IMDb reference. Well, yeah, I feel like. Don't get confused. Lee Voisey is not spelled the same way as Matt Damon. It's just Lee Voisey and you should find me.
0: Uh, And Chris, I mean, you're world known over here. So, I mean, that'd be not hard to find you. But anyway, besides the point, tell everyone how they can find you.
1: So, obviously, as well, you can kind of follow me on LinkedIn. uh, Chris Foster, spelled K-R-I-S, Foster. Um, You'll see me sitting on a beautiful red chair. Um, You can also find me on Instagram called Open Book. Um, And Open Book is a platform where we celebrate, educate brands about disability inclusion. We are, we're currently starting it up as a media platform so we can give voices to individuals like yourselves that they can kind of uh, showcase their talents and the abilities of uh, where their voices can be heard. Um, yeah, uh, please follow. It'd be great to, to connect and, um, I'll, I'm, I'm, you know, looking forward to, to see what comes from this. So thank you all. God bless you. Thank you everyone.
0: And, uh, thank you for listening and watching on another episode of Global Conversations. Once again, I'm Andre Darmanin. You can find us on the YouTube channel, uh, Spotify, Apple podcasts, and, uh, wherever you get your, uh, get your, uh, podcast platforms uh so until next time until the next episode i bid you adieu and uh have yourselves a wonderful day bye-bye
2: for everyone